Looking to create your best self, whether it's good for you lifestyle hacks, smarter ways to supplement, or tasty tips to fuel optimal health, Talk Healthy Today provides you the latest research tools and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy starting today. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I am absolutely in love with doing this podcast. I would be thrilled if you rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the podcast. Now, on to the show. Hi, this is Lisa. And as a person who gets migraines, I know how incredibly difficult they are. So I am really excited to be doing this PSA for Shades for Migraine. Shades for Migraine is a global awareness campaign that asks everyone to wear a pair of sunglasses on June 21st to show their support for the 1 billion people living with migraine disease worldwide. The campaign is getting better each year. See how you can take part and help spread the word. Taking part is easy. Just follow these four simple steps. Step one, take a photo wearing shades on or around June 21st to show you care for people living with migraine disease. Step two, post your photo on social media with the hashtag shades for migraine. Step three, challenge friends to take part two. Watch your impact multiply. So again, please go ahead and Wear your shades for migraine. One in seven people live with migraine. Here on Talk Healthy Today, we like to help raise awareness about the different things that people are living with, they're struggling with, and how you can help and show you care. So again, for more information, go to shadesformigraine.org. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. If you've listened to the show, you know I've talked about growing up and being extremely thin. So thin, in fact, that people would say, are you okay? Are you sick? What's wrong with you? Are you anorexic? Don't you eat? Uh, You look terrible. And I would be eating peanut butter sandwiches late at night, and I would be doing anything and everything to gain weight. Now, if somebody had told me when I reached my early 50s, I would be a size 12, full bust, you know, full, you know, bum, like very shapely, I would have said, you are completely insane. So now I'm looking at my body and going, what happened? What is going on? So I was very curious. So I am so excited to have the fantastic Dr. Sylvia Tara on the program. She was driven to research fat science and lifestyle after she finally got fed up with eating less and exercising more than her slimmer friends throughout her life. Her experiences told her there was more to weight loss than just calorie in, calorie out. As a biochemist, she was driven to get to the bottom of fats, mysteries, and the reasons it vexes us. In her best-selling book, which we're talking about today, The Secret of Fat, she reveals the complex biology of fat, how it resists loss, let me tell you, that's so true, and what to do to remove stubborn fat. Readers will learn that fat surprisingly uses many tricks to stay on us, and only if you understand those tricks can you beat fat at its own game. Well, we're going to talk all about this today. I'm absolutely thrilled to have Sylvia Tara, Dr. Tara, I should say, on the show. Hello, Dr. Tara. Welcome to Talk Healthy Today. Hello. It's so good to be here. Thank you. So when you were in graduate school, you had this kind of aha epiphany moment. Tell us what that was and how it led to where you are now. Yeah, yeah. So I've always noticed throughout my life, really, that other people could eat kind of what they wanted, right? And, and they didn't gain weight. They didn't even worry about it. They would just eat cake or whatever when I was a kid, right? Started when I was a kid at the swimming pool. 
And I actually gained weight really easily, even as a child. And I went on a number of diets. I started dieting at 12, right, when I noticed uh, that, that I had more of a belly than my friends did in our bikinis. And, uh, and I was really bothered that my friends were eating candy and cake at the poolside, and I couldn't do this. And, you know, went out throughout. And I was so proud of myself because I would always kind of restrict my calories and diet and exercise, and I managed to stay thin. <laughs> and I just got done this whole day of being really disciplined, right? I exercised in the morning, I ate salads, and I did all these great things. I was just getting ready for dinner for like a salad and water. And then I had this skinny little friend. She could be more than five feet tall, probably weighed about 90-some pounds. And we all went out, you know, after, after a day in, in grad school. She ordered a beer and a giant burrito, giant, like guacamole, sour cream, cheddar cheese, everything on this. And she just ate it, like like not even – like, like really appreciating it, just eating it like it's potato chips or something. I'm like, she doesn't even think about this. She doesn't worry about this. She's not worried about any repercussions. And she's by far thinner than I am. And I just thought, okay, something's amiss. Some, something's wrong here. And, you know, throughout, I, I didn't start researching it till later. And then I had kids and I, I had a career. And, you know, slowly you just gain a little bit more weight. So even though I was able to stay thin younger, you know, it just creeps on. And I noticed it with some of my friends, too. Once you get really busy and preoccupied with family and career, pounds come off, come on, and they're hard to take off. And I was about to go on another diet, and then I had another one of these experiences where I had a, a skinny friend, right? We went to aerobics together, and uh, we got done. We were going to have a lunch, and we just started talking. And, and she ordered whatever she wanted for lunch, this giant salad with all this fun stuff on. And she goes, yeah, I'm going to go home and have dinner, whatever it's taco day or something, whatever my kids are having, I'm going to have. I thought, how can you do that? You know, again, she was really thin. I thought, you know, something is not right in the world. And I've had enough of these experiences now that I have to understand my body. Why is it that my body seems to be gaining weight faster, easier than anybody else around me? And it set me on this, this five-year journey, really, of, of reading everything in the scientific literature about the research on fat and metabolism. I called a whole bunch of researchers as well to, to give me even more insight into what they knew about fat. What I found out was just so surprising, really. Um, I thought, I have to share this because fat's not what we think it is. It's actually very complex. It has a mind of its own. It has ways to control you, control your thinking and control your appetite and your metabolism. And unless you know this, you're going to have a hard time managing fat, especially if you have stubborn fat. So The Secret Life of Fat, my book, is full of all those secrets, right? Everything I found out and what you need to know if you have stubborn fat. It's it's fantastic. I am so impressed. I mean, the amount of time, energy. I learned about so many different researchers. I learned about uh, so much stuff that we're going to share some of it. We're not going to share all of it because you have to get the book. But I do want to do a deep dive. So you have in the introduction our changing views of fat. And it was interesting. You talk about a time in history where it was good to be fat. And then you write, quote, the attention to fat started out as well-intended caution against the country's growing girth, but it soon turned to disdain. Yeah, it was a, it's a wonderful time, right? This time when fat was actually appreciated for what it was, which was an extra reserve of calories, you know, and, and much more. But after the Civil War, so the 1860s, uh, you know, and afterward, fat was actually really appreciated because at the time, the country was at a time of real despair, right? The economy was not good. A lot of people lost, you know, a lot of, of possessions and things during that time. And people had trouble being fat enough, right? They were thin. There was not enough food. It wasn't the food supplies like we have now. And so fat was really revered at this time. Um, there was something called the Fat Man's Club where you had to be fat enough to join because fat was seen as a status symbol. 
celebrities who are heavy, like Lillian Russell, right? They were celebrated for their heft, you know? So, so entertainers were, were celebrated, fat was celebrated. And it wasn't until the country started coming out of this period of despair and becoming very progressive when factories started, right? People started getting a little bit more sedentary as well. People had more money, they could now eat and people started gaining weight. And at this point, that's when a trigger you know, was raised about, okay, now we're getting fat. And then politicians like, started coming into it saying, we have to be worried about our girth, about our weight. Um, preachers did as well. It, it wasn't you know, pious to be overweight. Business leaders, also, we want agile, able bodies for our factories. So we have to start watching our weight. So it was almost less about health and more of just a stigma of fat. And oh my goodness, the country is changing. What can we do? And this is when dieting really started to come in because the more people heard about this from different leaders, the more they got worried about my fat. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm not supposed to have fat. I thought fat was good. And now we're worried about it. And it was the beginning of the dieting industry when you had a lot of hucksters and, and, and you know, different people just taking advantage of this national fear of fat now. And, and weird diets like the cigarette diet came out, right? To have a lucky instead of a sweet, a tapeworm diet came out where people would ingest tapeworms, tapeworm eggs, actually, and after they had, they would lose weight, and then they would swallow poison to get rid of their fat. And this, the really questionable things like fat off soap, where you could wash yourself in the soap and it would come off. So all, all these sales started for, for dieters. And it's now evolved into, of course, a multi-billion dollar industry where people are still really afraid of their fat and want to take it off at all costs. But really, you know, the dieting industry, it's based on, you know, it has to sell you. So it keeps selling you these images of things that are really hard to attain, like a very svelte six-pack abs, right? Um, you know, really toned body, 17% body fat, without ever really teaching you what, what, what fat is. And I think the more you know about fat, you can see how misguided the dieting industry is because you actually need a healthy level of fat to function optimally. Fat's not just fat. Fat is an endocrine organ, and that's never advertised. It's never talked about. And in fact, it wasn't even known about until, say, the 1980s or so. As the obesity epidemic started increasing, there was more research money put into fat. And so there was more dollars spent on what is fat and diabetes, too, where it was increasing. And that's when we started to learn about fat as an organ. It's not just a reserve of calories. There were some really astounding um, breakthroughs in research that show what fat really is. So we've had like a really kind of long history with fat, first loving it, then hating it. And, and now I feel and I hope really trying to understand it, you know, instead of just, uh, you know, having really strong emotions about it. Well, that's why your book is so important. I like in chapter two, Fat Can Talk. You tell us about uh, Jeffrey Friedman and Dr. Bruce Schneider. Tell us a little bit about their work. Yeah, so Jeffrey Friedman um, discovered some very interesting things about fat. That was really the start when we realized fat is not just fat. And so what, what they did is they actually took, you know, a skinny mouse and a thin mouse and tried to understand the difference between the two. And what they finally found out really was that this really obese mouse that couldn't stop eating, couldn't stop looking for food, ultimately they found out it was lacking a certain hormone that exists in normal mice, right, who, have, who can get satiated and stop eating. And through a number of different researchers, such as, you know, looking at mice, sewing them together, looking at their blood samples, et cetera, they, they finally elucidated that our fat uh, actually releases a hormone called leptin. And leptin circulates through our bloodstream and it travels to our brain and binds with areas of the hypothalamus. 
And once it's bound with the hypothalamus, it tells our brains that, you know, we can be pretty satiated. It's okay. There's enough food in the world. There's enough fat, in, you know, that you have on your body. You don't have to be too worried about anything. Of course, we get hungry during meal times, right? But, but overall, we're pretty, pretty much satiated. However, as you start to lose your fat, right, or people who have a defect, a genetic defect in their fat tissue, you have less leptin, right? So, so as you start losing fat, because fat is producing leptin, as you have less leptin, your brain detects this lower level of leptin. And when it detects that, it sends your, your brain into overdrive looking for food. It interprets that signal as there's a problem in our environment. There's not enough food around. And so really fat's like this link to the environment that tells your brain what's going on in the environment. And actually when they do fMRI images of people's brain after they've lost 10% of their weight or more, the excitatory centers of their brain light up wildly when they look at images of food. They're very excited by food, right? They're food seeking. They tend to put more on their plate as well. And in addition, those uh, centers of the brain associated with inhibitory behavior, right? That can, can self-control, things like that. They're actually diminished in people who've lost some fat. So you're more driven to look for food and, and less able to control yourself around food. And not only that, but the leptin circulating in our blood that's released from fat also binds to skeletal muscle. And so when your body detects a lower level of leptin, the muscles switch to a different muscle cell that burns a fewer calories. Overall, you burn 22% fewer calories once you've lost some weight. And this effect has been studied for about six years, and it doesn't necessarily go away from it for everybody. There's a caloric penalty. So to put that into a real-life example, if you're 170 and you've lost 20 pounds to get to 150 pounds, compared to a person who's 150 pounds to begin with, never had to diet to get there, you have to eat 22% fewer calories than the person who's at 150 pounds to begin with, right? So there's a caloric penalty for losing weight. And that, that effect can last for quite a long time. I'm not sure if it ever really goes away. And so you might think of it as depressing, but it's actually very empowering to know that there's so much recidivism when you lose weight. People come back and they, they regain the weight and they don't know why they tried so hard. But now you can understand that there's a coordinated effort of your body to try to put that fat back on. Your body, right? It, it's like from generations, ancestry of people who were starving, famine, right? So it's driven to put that back on when it senses something's wrong. You're looking for food. You're trying to pack it on. But once you know that, you know, now you understand what's going on. And it's not that you're on the wrong diet because a lot of diets will try to sell you this line, well, you'll never be hungry on our diet, right? You'll lose the weight and you'll keep it off. But biochemically, you're going to be hungry as you start losing weight. What's even more interesting is it doesn't matter how you've lost that weight. If you have liposuction, you'll have that same effect, right? You'll be hungrier, you'll have lower metabolism. If you lose it from exercise, right? You just eat the same or eat even more, but you exercise a lot same thing's going to happen. It all has to do with the amount of fat that you're losing, not that you're on the right or wrong diets, right, or, or uh, anything like that. So, I mean, that's one big myth of the dieting industry you can debunk right there. There's not really, it's hard to find a diet where you'll never be hungry. You will feel some of this just because your fat is reducing. The good part of that, though, is that your, your brain will get sensitized to this new level, or desensitized, rather, to this new level of leptin over time. It might take a long time, a year or more. If you can find a way to absolutely stay on this, you will, you know, equilibrate to a new level of leptin there. But, but it's one of the big reasons weight gain comes back is because I think people don't realize this. Um, and then there's such an urge to eat afterward. And it's not 
because you're weak. It's not because you're on the wrong diet. You need to buy your like 20th diet book and try something new. It's really just the biochemistry of your body. This needs to be on billboards like everywhere. <laughs> I mean, this is insane that people don't no. know this because there's so much guilt and shame and pressure. And why can't I just stop? Well, this is your biochemistry talking. This is your fat talking yeah. to us. Because you put in the book, your fat can talk. Yeah. And it seems like it really wants to stay oh, around. Well, your body loves it. Your body gets nervous when you start losing some fat. It's, it sees it as, here's a famine. A famine's coming. Look for any food you can and eat it. Right? <laughs> so you have to kind of link our ancestry to now where we have all this processed food, easy calories everywhere. And they, they don't match, obviously. And so, yeah, I mean, fat talks through the hormones it secretes into your body. It's language. And it's telling your brain, look out, start eating. It's telling your muscles, please conserve energy. I don't know what's going on in the world, right? And it talks to you throughout your life in different ways, right? Um, like when you're pregnant, right? You, your body communicates again. And, and it's not just even leptin. It secretes other hormones as well. Um, and there's other hormones even from your stomach, right? Like ghrelin's another hormone that will make you hungry, right? And and that plays in um, to our appetite and ability to to uh, restrict our eating as well. Yeah, you know, I love chapter three. Your life depends on fat. Dr. Rose Frisch, she was a researcher at the Harvard School of Public Health for mm. over 45 years. She writes, fat gives us life. She writes that heavy exercise and low body fat were undoing puberty. You also talk about brain size and fat, and you talk about fat and bone, one strengthening the other, and you talk about how fat protects us. Just jump into that a little bit, because I think there's so much negativity. It's nice to know, oh, okay, I'm okay, fat, looking at my arm, going, okay, <laughs> you're, you're, you're not too, you're you're, you're a good size, you know, you're helping me out. Yeah. So, you know, Bruce first did some really interesting research. Um, gosh, this was like decades ago where she started, started, started studying girls in Pakistan. And what she noticed is that girls from poorer neighborhoods menstruated later compared to, to girls from more well-to-do neighborhoods. And through a lot of different population exercises um, that she or studies that she did, she actually learned that fat is linked to menstruation and it's linked to our ability to reproduce. So fat actually produces estrogen as well, right? And, and so that's you know, critical for girls, obviously. And estrogen is linked to reproduction. And then also leptin is linked to reproduction. For, for people who have like genetically genetic defects in their ability to produce leptin, they also don't menstruate and they don't even mature. Like they act very childlike all the way into adulthood. So leptin is directly linked to our maturation, right? Our behavior, our ability to reproduce. Um, and, and there's a couple stories I have in the book about, you know, a, a, a a boy and a, a girl, right, or woman and man, and who had defects in their leptin, and like the woman didn't menstruate regularly. The boy, the boy, you know, also had issues with with development, and they both act very childlike. And when they put leptin into them, right, when they injected it into them, they suddenly were more assertive and adult-like, and and they are, you know, the woman's period is normalized. So, so leptin is directly linked to us growing up into adults, which is fascinating into itself. Yeah, that those stories. You have so many great stories in the book to illustrate what you're talking about. It's it's fascinating. Yeah. And so also, if you lose too much fat as a as young female, right, ballerinas, gymnasts, you know, people, uh, runners, right, people do a lot of exercise, your periods will stop eventually. Right. So there has to be enough fat in the world for your body to believe that it ha it's going to grow up. It wants to grow up and it wants to reproduce. Again, fat is kind of this environmental detector, right? So when you have very low fat, your body is interpreting that as there's a problem in the world and we're not going to reproduce because we can't support new life in this world. 
right? And uh, I talked to a couple of reproduction specialists and, and they say that, you know, the first thing they try to do with athletes is when they're trying to get pregnant, try to get them to eat, try to get them to gain some fat so that their periods normalize. Um, and so it's, it's really important. Also bone development in girls, right? There's a direct link with fat, right? Weight bearing and also the leptin and, and estrogen that they produce. And so for, for developing females in particular, I think more so than men, fat is a really important uh, layer. And, and we have more fat. Girls have more fat even at birth compared to boys, right? They, they measure thousands of babies. And so probably even in utero, right? Girls have more fat. We are designed to have more fat. It, it plays a bigger role in our lives than it does in men. And you know, the, the good thing, if you want any like, consolation any of that, is that we tend to be fatter but healthier in a way our bodies also put fat in the right places so men will have more visceral fat more belly fat which is linked with you know diabetes heart disease and they have more incidence of heart disease than women do women tend to store fat in their buttock area their legs their arms their breasts away from their visceral area so their bodies are designed to quickly they store fat at two to three times the rate that men do right they store it very fast it comes out of their blood goes into to the healthy deposits of fat tissue right, right. whereas for men it tends to hang around their bloodstream a little bit more. They don't store it away as fast as women and they get like more clogged arteries because of it and they get more visceral fat because of it as well. And so one, one, you know, one of the fact that having more fat as a woman is you tend to be a little healthier. Your body's actually taking fat out of your bloodstream and putting it into fat tissue where it belongs. Right. Well, that's why I think so ridiculous about the diet industry. I mean, there's plenty of women who are perfectly fine and they have some fat, but you really don't need to lose weight. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to lose weight. I'm a size 12. I, I like, I, I'm happy. I work out. I do my thing. I eat well. And yeah, I have a little bit of a belly, not much, but you know what I mean? But it's just like, I'm not going to go completely insane. There's a story in the book about a woman. I think she was in her forties and she got slim and like really slim and six pack abs and she competed, but it was, it was so incredibly torturous. I thought I'm not doing this. Yeah. I'm not going to flip and do this. I mean, I work in the health field, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, it's not what I'm doing. It's not what I want to teach people either. No, it's your whole life. If you want to get to what's kind of this very hard to attain level of extremely low fat that is advertised to be healthy and the way you should be and the way you should look yep. all day affair. Right. So I had, I had trainers like throughout my life of struggling with fat. I, you know, I hired on trainers. Gosh, the exercise you know, regimen that they would give you, the eating regimen, right? You, really, the, what they tend to do, though, the weight um, trainers is like you eat more frequently, but you exercise all the time. It's a career unto itself. So if you're busy, if you have a family, you have a career, it's not really a great way to go unless you have plenty of time to put into it. And some people do. Their jobs may be less demanding and they can. And if they're happy, good for them. But, but it's a full career. And but the other thing that's really important is that you don't really – have to be that thin to be healthy. So when you talk about having some some fat on your belly, if it's subcutaneous fat, it's not necessarily a problem, right? If it's not in, in gross excess, it's a problem if it's underneath the stomach wall, right? And that that's the fat that gets really compacted and it starts to inflamed, right? As it gets too crowded in there. So if you lie on your back, it's just like a quick, easy test. Um, you know, and if you're, if, you, if you lie on your back and your fat kind of and your stomach flattens when you lie on your back, it's probably subcutaneous fat, which is not the visceral, really dangerous fat. Oh, good. Lie on your back and you still have that paunch there, then that is probably visceral fat if it keeps its shape. And so, I mean, really, a CT scan is a true way to, to do that test, but that's the kind of quick one anyone can do at home. And I write about sumo wrestlers because this is a yes. really interesting example of people who are obviously 
completely obese, but all that fat on their belly is actually subcutaneous fat. It's not in underneath the visceral, uh, it's not in the visceral section, it's not underneath the stomach wall. And so they are actually fat, but fit. And the reason they can achieve this is because there's another hormone that fat releases called adiponectin. And adiponectin circulates in your bloodstream and it pretty much guides fat out of your bloodstream into the healthy deposits of fat. So into your buttock area, right into your subcutaneous layer, into your arms, but it, it keeps it away from your visceral area. When you exercise, it actually provokes fat to produce adiponectin. And so sumo wrestlers exercise for about six hours a day. So even though they're eating like 6,000 calories a day, they're exercising six hours a day. So all that fat they have is making its way to the subcutaneous layer and away from their visceral area. So they don't have a lot of heart disease. They don't have a lot of metabolic issues. When they retire, however, and they stop exercising so much, they get metabolically unhealthy very quickly. They're faster, oh. right? So, so like fat is just this wondrous thing. <laughs> and, yeah, it's controlling your mind, it's controlling your metabolism, and it's controlling where fat is going to go. It's almost saying like, okay, fat, fat, come home. Fat in the bloodstream, please come home to a healthy place. Stay away from the visceral area, right? So, so exercise, you it can actually be you know, fit, but fat, it's best not to be, you know, too much overweight, but if you're going to have some extra pounds, best to keep it away from your visceral area. And you can do that by adequate exercise. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you made me feel better. There is, so there is some fat we need, but then we talked a little bit about how excess fat can harm us. Uh, and you also talk about what I love is how to heal unhealthy fat. And you say basically one way to break the cycle is to alleviate crowded fat. I never heard that term before, which means losing some weight. And we will get into that because I love that you share what you did and what you do. And I also love that you share what are some options, what are some things. And there's all this science saying that, yes, too much fat is not good, but you probably are in an okay category and you're just torturing yourself over not being a size two, right? And that's something that I find very tricky. Yeah. I mean you don't have to be a size two at all, right? I mean, you can be a size seven, size eight, whatever it is, and you can do okay. And, and you have to find a lifestyle that's going to work for you in the long run. Right. Because like we said, that caloric penalty doesn't end for a long time. You might feel kind of hungry, right? It, it's a lifestyle. So you have to find a diet that works for you. You know, biologically it works. You are losing weight. I've been on diets where I gained weight, right? If they told me to graze all day or to eat a certain thing, my body, right? As I learned, it, it, it kind of attaches to certain things. So you have to be, you have to be working biologically, has to be working for you kind of socially and psychologically too, where, yeah, like there's, there's diets where like the paleo, right. Or some of these really low carb, you have to buy certain foods, right. You have to spend a lot of time being very careful about what you eat and it works really well for some people. They like it. If you're not the type to do that, to shop at special places or get certain and spend a lot of time thinking about what you're going to eat. It's not, you're not going to stay on this diet. Don't even, don't bother, right? <laughs> Find one that, that you really like. And and then also, you know, you can, you don't, size two, it's an unattainable goal for so many people. And think about it. You can't really keep selling books unless you give people a goal that's very hard to attain. Because if they attain it, they don't need you anymore, right? Brilliant, so yes. Something just a little bit out of reach. So they keep thinking, I'm not good enough and I have to buy this and I have to buy that and I have to keep trying, right? So, so the, the point is to be kind of, it's healthy, right? Healthy and happy with how you look. 
And so, you know, that's really the key. Now, now if you have too much fat, it, it's not good. I'm not promoting obesity. I'm not promoting overweightness oh, yes, at all, right? So, you know, like we talked about, if you have too much visceral fat, that fat gets inflamed. It's correlated with diabetes, with heart disease. And even if it's not visceral, if it's just like around your body, you can also be in, impacting your joints, right? Your joints can have some issues. Down oh, there. yes. Pregnant women or people trying to get pregnant, they have too much fat. Their hormones are thrown off. They have too much estrogen, right? Like there, there's an issue. So a healthy level of fat is what's really important. And then how you get your fat healthy, this is a tough one, right? And this is right. why I wrote this book. It's like, well, what now? So my own case example, I've yo-yo dieted throughout my life, right? I'm one of these people that have this caloric penalty. I can hardly eat, right? If I want to eat. <laughs> It doesn't seem to be going away for me too much, right? So, so that's what I live with, and I write, you know, it's, I write about other people in the book who are similar, where they've been impacted somehow, and they've just kind of realized. Um, I have this one, this one patient I write about in the book who actually had a virus that caused him to gain a lot of weight, and he says, "I'm not part of the eating world, right? Like, there's the eating world and the not eating world," and he talks about his family that. You know, they'll go to picnics and have pizza and whatever they want. He'll bring his boiled eggs and his salad, and he just stays really diligent. And I, I can really relate to that. And I was thrilled to hear I'm not the only one in this situation. <laughs> but if you have stubborn fat, you've yo-yo dieted, um, or you have these other issues. Like I also write about genetic right, predispositions, yep. how viruses can cause fat, how your microbiome, how age. Age is a really critical part of this, right? And being female, right? Oh, that, definitely. Yeah. To get it back under control, especially for middle-aged women, and I, you know, being one, my book is kind of geared towards okay people who have this problem. And I actually developed a course as well to put some of the learnings of the secret life of fat into kind of day to day, you know, a slower pace, more of the how to and what to do now. But I found one of the best ways to get rid of really stubborn fat is you know one consistency. So again, find a diet that works. Don't plan on coming off. Just stay on it and don't cheat. The older you get, right, the, um, you have less testosterone, less estrogen, less growth hormone, hormones that are normally great fat burning hormones. We don't have those anymore, right? So there's not cheat days. Like you have to be very very consistent on your diet. The other thing that that works really well for stubborn fat is intermittent fasting. It's the one thing that I did. And again, you have to stop thinking so much just about calories. You, you, like your body is a biochemical bag, right? And that is illustrated throughout the you know the book about different hormones involved with fat. And so think of like you're, you're putting. I'm a chemist, right? So like you're putting an extra you know additive into a chemical solution that's full of different types of hormones. Hormones. Some hormones make you gain weight. Some hormones that make you lose weight. We have less of those fat. Uh, loss hormones around as we age. So now when you put a calorie in, your body's doing something different to that calorie than it used to do when you were 20 years old, right? Same for men versus women. Men and women metabolize, right, differently. We, we partition our nutrients differently. Women automatically put more of their nutrients into fat. We burn it differently. Um, we respond differently. Women get a lot hungrier after exercise than men do. Yeah, that because, was interesting. And so yeah. then you end up eating more. That's right. Then, yeah. Right, you get 33% more ghrelin. Our bodies biochemically respond differently to exercise. So it's too much to cover all in this interview, but there's all these different you know, reasons why the bio, you have to think of it more of a biochemist level now. And so when you do fast, right, if you have stubborn fast, fat, the reason it works is that our, our growth hormone actually peaks at night. And growth hormone is a great fat burner. But when you eat, you mitigate the effects of growth hormone in your body. So if you can prolong that overnight fast, say stop eating earlier, right? Stop eating at six, don't eat again until nine or 10 the next day, your growth hormone can be more active. It's, it can bust through fat better. 
Um, also, a leptin, right? People who have a full good night's uh, sleep, they tend to have higher leptin levels, right? Complete compared to people who are sleep deprived. So they're more satiated all day. So they're burning some fat and they're not as hungry all the time. That fat period also helps release glucagon from the pancreas, another great fat burning uh, hormone. So take that into consideration. There's the microbiome as well, right? I write about that. And so we're not all getting the same amount of calories out of our food, depending on the bacteria in your gut. You could be getting more or less, right? And so like that that bowl of Cheerios, it says 100 calories on the box. It could be 120 for you. It could be 80 for you, depending on how your bacteria in your gut is eating. One of the best things to do taking bacteria into account is really fibrous food, salads, right? Leafy green salads. The more diverse fruits and vegetables you eat, you actually change your microbiome to be one that is more associated with a lean body type. It tends to put more calories out as waste rather than absorb it all. The more processed foods you have, cookies, things like that, potato chips, you get a different kind of bacteria distribution that is extremely good at, at extracting calories out of food, right? So fat loss begets fat loss. If you're eating a lot of salads, right, the diversity of fruits and vegetables, you're getting less calories and you're developing a microbiome that's letting a lot of that pass through. You're not keeping it all, right? And you're absorbing less calories to begin with. So fat loss is beginning fat loss. You know, on the other hand, fat gains beginning fat gain. You're eating potato chips and cookies, it's higher calories and you're absorbing more of it. So there's a lot of tricks you can do, you know, for your body if you truly understand in its entirety what's going on. You have to take advantage of hormones, right? To use them in a smart way, right? And then you know, your microbiome as well, um, your age and your gender. And women have to be forgiving of themselves because women, like I, like I talked about a little bit, they're designed to have more fat from birth, right? For forever. And our fat changes with us and it has different kind of functions in our life, right? When, when we're growing, you know, we talked about bones and, and um, you know, the, the importance of fat on girls, right? For menstruation and things like that. Um, in fact, anorexia, I write about that quite a bit for, for some men, like you lose brain volume if you don't have enough fat, right? Your bones get porous if you don't have enough fat, right? And, and so if, like, it's, particularly for girls, it's very important to have an adequate level of fat. Of course, for childbearing, it's important again, because you know, you're producing estrogen, leptin, right? It's a signal to your body it's okay to produce. And then during menopause, fat becomes the primary producer of estrogen, so your body is actually depending on your fat now. So that I, there's a theory that that's why it's very hard to lose fat for women, right? As they start getting that that change of life, is that it's it's their primary source of estrogen, and your body is hanging on. <laughs> and then after that, oddly, we start to lose fat. Like there's some period, like in your like maybe late 60s, 70s, where you just start losing weight. So so the 50s are this bewitching period you know in our lives where like fat is just packing on and where we used to have less visceral fat compared to men women can actually start gaining visceral fat at this time period right as they as they lose some estrogen um and going through that and so it's it's a remarkable thing and i can't wait till we learn even more about fat because all this like i said it was only since the 1980s or so nih started investing and learning more about fat and obesity and diabetes it's a very new science compared to, you know, say cancer or other things that we've been studying a long time. So new, new techniques are being developed, right? New insights are coming out. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to what else we learn about fat because it's a complex endocrine organ. It's not what we think. It, it does have the function of, of storing some reserved calories, but it's also doing a whole bunch of other things. It's producing estrogen and leptin and adiponectin and who knows what else. Like we have yet to find out what else it can do. Well, you've done so much for us because this book – 
You shed so much light on what we do know and the research that is out there. I love in chapter eight, I am woman, I have fat. When I was a kid, my best friend and I used to sing I am woman to each other by Helen Reddy. So I saw that. I'm I'm like, I got to write a parody. (laughs) I am woman, I have fat. So get off my back. It's great. You also talk, so you talked about intermittent fasting. You talk about exercise. You talk about gender and fat distribution. I think that what's hard for me is it's more like my fat is softer. Like, you know, you see people who are young and they're, they may be fat, but they're firm, right? And yeah. I think that's what, and people are going, oh gosh, it's a broken record. I'm struggling with like skin elasticity issues, but that's from, I was one, I grew up in California. I was always in the sun. So, you know, there's those issues as well. And it's more like that laxity and that aging that's tough to me more than the fat itself but like I, yeah like it's like oh okay well i have good muscles in my arms because i lift weights but there's like this the fat that's there it's like softer right it's I, that's, that's yeah. how it changes i'm fascinated by that in fact that's that's a chapter i didn't write um oh I read, but i really wanted to look at that because if you look at different body types different races fat is different on some on some people it's very firm right um I've always had really soft, flaccid fat. And like I'm Eastern Indian. And if you look at Indian women, we tend to have like softer fat. It's not hard. Yeah. I, I never found a really good answer. I think it has to do with collagen fibers. It yes. hasn't studied much. So I didn't find research on it. But it's a really interesting area because our fat is different. I think the most I found was about fat distribution in different races. So um, African-American women will have more fat in their buttock area and their legs, and they'll actually have less visceral fat, whereas Caucasian women will have more visceral compared to African-American. But I've not found um, research, and maybe I'll look again, about how fat is structured differently or the you know consistency, texture, or the way we pack fat. Right. You know, one hypothesis is maybe we have more water in, in fat if you have softer fat, right? So we're just – our fat tissue – is structured slightly differently. Anyway, it, it's a topic I have. It's so interesting. So that's that's more of my personal my personal struggle. I also love in the book you have the man who ate plastic, and you talk wow. about the endocrine disruptors. Yeah, and that's something as well. And again, I have to let you go soon. I don't want to give the whole book away, but in part three you have. So what is the solution? And we've talked about that already, which is great. You talk about working out. You talk about the high intensity interval training, which I need to do. I just got a pool. And it's been a lifelong dream, and I'm ready to hit it. <laughs> but I'm pumped. Get more brown fat. It's funny. So there's all these like different secrets of how you can lose fat. Exercise is really good, by the way. We didn't talk about it too much, but yeah, when we talk about fat loss because fat loss, right? When you exercise, it's a great way to fight aging because you're going to build back some of that fat burning tissue, like bone and muscle, yeah. right? And that's going to help you lose um, some weight. In addition, adiponectin is going to come out, which is going to put fat in the right places. You get more testosterone and more growth hormone, right? That comes out when you exercise. So you're compensating for some of that, that uh, uh, decreasing hormones. In addition to all of that, you get more brown fat. And so there's different types of fat that I write about as well. There's white fat, beige fat, brown fat. Brown fat actually burns calories, right? White fat, the primary role is to reserve all your calories, right? But brown fat burns calories to produce heat. And the more you exercise, the more your beige fat turns brown. And so that also helps you burn calories. Oh, good. And cold exposure, if you have a pool, it's great because you will actually get more brown fat if you go into the pool when it's cold. Like just go in the morning when you know before it gets too warm in there and swim a lot. And when I wrote the book, my husband said, well, I'm going to try this. He's already a thin guy. He didn't really need to. He got like really skinny just from swimming in a cold pool. 
Oh, wow. He had a really big appetite and he would, he would eat a lot after he swam, but like he, he almost lost too much weight. And so he never had biopsies done or anything, but, but my theory is he probably gained quite a bit of brown fat and burned a lot of calories. For you, you said the intermittent fasting has been really yeah. helpful. Yeah. And yeah, talk, talk to us about that. You know, the key to do is understand your own body. So our bodies don't metabolize the same way. There's research that shows, right, that people, they did an experiment where they gave everyone the same kind of food and they tested their blood sugar response. There were some people who could have a muffin, a cookie. Their blood sugar didn't spike much. It didn't move much at all. Other people had like just a bite of a muffin and they got this huge spike, you know, in their, in their blood sugar. And so we're not all responding the same way to all different foods. Keep a log of what you eat. You're going to start to learn and, and weigh yourself every day. Oh, and put yes. a log as well. You'll start to learn what foods are correlating with weight loss or weight gain. There's certain things that if I eat it, forget it. I, I've gained half a pound the next day. Right? White flour. White, if I have something with white flour, white bread. I'll gain weight. If I have whole wheat bread, it's okay. <laughs> it won't. So you'll start to see your own body. It's very individual weight loss, right? Because of your biochemistry. So keep a really strict log. What time did I eat? What did I eat? What was the calorie count? What was my weight that day? What is it the next day? And you'll start to see what's going to work for you. You'll also start to see when to sh- how much to shrink your window of eating. So I learned that if I try to eat at night, I gain weight. If I, In fact, if I consistently try to eat dinner, even a small amount of 200 calories, I will gain weight throughout my life and end up being very obese. And so I learned that I have to pretty much stop eating at 3 o'clock if I want to lose weight, right? So it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, so it's a very maybe oh, wow. four, sometimes 4 o'clock. But I have to have a very large window of fast where it's like from 4 o'clock to about 9 o'clock the next day. Um, I don't eat. And it's a surefire way to lose weight. Amazingly, if I even snack, if I get a little weak at night and I, I like, I, I got to have something and I, I have just, you know, a little salad or a piece of fruit, I really won't lose weight. There's something in the absolute fasting period that's really kicking your hormones into gear. And if you interfere with that and you eat something, it diminishes those hormones and you're not necessarily going to lose weight. So it seems like a small thing, like, well, I'm going to have an apple. It's not a small thing. You're actually now interfered with the weight loss process. The older oh, wow. you get, the more strict you have to be. I used to be able to cheat more and it was okay. The older I, if I don't, if I cheat, that weight's not coming off. So it's about logging. Intermittent fasting is great for all the reasons that we talked about. Add some exercise in, but don't do it until you're really down with your diet. So I have all, you know, I write a lot about this. It's in the course as well. If you add exercise too fast, particularly for women, it invokes a hunger response. So much so, that you undo all the everything that you get that you uh, accomplished, right? So you'll you'll overcompensate. You have to add exercise in really slowly. In fact, for the first two or three weeks, don't don't try to exercise. Just get your diet habits down, um, and then add it in slowly. If you get a hunger spike, ratchet back. Like do it to a level that's comfortable, so you're not undoing your diet. There's psychology to weight loss too, and I have a chapter on this. Really important for women. Like you said earlier, women beat themselves up, right? And I, and I wrote about this. You know, I uncovered it with a lot of weight loss trainers and medical weight loss clinics. Women have a different kind of relationship to food, and we tend to, to punish ourselves if we're not perfect. It's something called dichotomous thinking. So for women in particular, you have to be forgiving, right? And I don't know why we do this, but, but we're really self-punishing. Men will go off their diet and have a beer. Like, so what? I had a beer. And they just get back on. Women are like, oh my God, I had a, a beer. I'm, I'm, I didn't win. I lost. I can't believe I did this. And then they just keep eating because they feel like a failure. Their whole psychology, in fact, it's my new area of interest now, is the oh, psychology great. of how we, why we eat and, and why we fail, right? And, and what, how to stop that. Because you can know all this stuff, right? You can read the book. But if you're not in the mental mindset 
to really lose weight, you won't, right? Or, or you'll gain it back really quickly. So that that's another good chapter in there. It's, it's a good chapter uh, in the course too, if you want more of that, the kind of hand. Oh, absolutely. Well, I don't eat after, usually after six or 6.30. I don't eat again till nine. So that's, that's, that's a good window. Good. Yeah, but I'm thinking maybe I'll extend it to 10. Yeah, or it's what you're eating. If you keep a log, you might find things that correlate. Um, yeah. Surprising what it is. Like, like I had read like, through my dieting world, I was told a banana is terrible. <laughs> you're not supposed to have <laughs> high, high hypoglycemic index. I can eat it without punishment. I can have chocolate without punishment. I can't have a chocolate cookie. If I have white flour, that's like the nemesis that'll make me gain weight. So just log it. You'll be surprised if you drop some foods, it might, it might help you. Well, Dr. Tara, you are so amazing. You're welcome here anytime. The book is The Secret Life of Fat, the science behind the body's least understood organ and what it means for you. I mean, everybody needs to read this book. It's life-changing. Tell us about the course. How do we do that? And and I want to take it. I yeah, want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> if you go to uh, my website, um, www.thesecretlifeoffat.com, you'll find the course there. You'll find some media snapshots too. Uh, so that's good. The book is on Amazon. There's also a documentary now. Um, Nova did a documentary um, based on, on a lot of research in my book. Oh, wonderful. And, and that's kind of cool to watch too, because it's a nice kind of fast one hour way to get a, a snapshot. What is that called? It's called the truth about fat. So they changed it slightly, but yeah, but it's, it's all this, the researchers that I also interviewed in the book, right? They, they um, are talking about the research. So there's lots of ways to keep on it, but, but the course I think is good. And then if you want, you know, if you have questions or anything you want to communicate, you can find me um, at Sylvia Tara PhD on Facebook, right? And people message me on there sometimes. Um, I'm on Twitter too. And I, I have to call, you know, do more on Instagram. I'm told because that's the new thing. So I will get on Instagram. <laughs> Well, you are amazing. This has been so fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on Talk Healthy today. Thank you so much for listening to Talk Healthy today. I hope you got as much out of the show as I did. I feel so lucky to talk to so many incredible people to help you live your healthiest life. So please rate, review, and subscribe and never miss an episode of Talk Healthy today.